In 2018, Lena Wolf received an invitation to a friend's wedding in St. Petersburg. As a German citizen living in the UK, Lena had to apply for a visa for what would be her first ever trip to Russia. She answered the questions on the application form to the best of her ability. Had she ever lived in Russia? No. Had she ever immigrated from Russia? Again, no. The application was rejected, and when Lena went to the Russian visa center in London to find out why, the clerk on duty there was not surprised. The lady said, Oh, you've given us this wrong information, Lena told me. You were born in Latvia, but you answered no to whether you've ever lived in Russia. Lena explained that her family had moved from Kazakhstan, not Russia, to Germany in 1989 because life in the Soviet Union was difficult for members of the ethnic German minority. But the clerk insisted that this wasn't possible. Why are you telling me stories? There were no Germans in the Soviet Union, Lena recalls her saying. The clerk then took out a document that she claimed was a complete list of the Soviet Union's ethnic minorities. Look, 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 she said. No Germans. In reality, according to the last Soviet census, there were more than 2 million ethnic Germans living in the USSR in 1989. Nearly 1 million of them lived in Kazakhstan, more than in any other Soviet republic. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. Hello everyone, and welcome back to The Naked Pravda, Medusa's English language podcast. I'm Eilish Hart, one of your hosts for this episode and the editor of The Beat, Medusa's weekly long-reads newsletter covering Central and Eastern Europe, the Caucasus, and Central Asia. And I'm Sam Brazil, Medusa in English's senior news editor. For this week's show, I'm talking to Sam about his most recent article for The Beat, which tells the story of Jana Wolf and her family. Liana describes herself as a Kazakh German, a shorthand that encompasses her identity as someone who grew up in Kazakhstan during the twilight of the Soviet Union, but is of German descent. Liana's German ancestors settled in southern Ukraine in the 18th century, after this territory was annexed by the Russian Empire. And just a few generations later, her parents and grandparents were among the millions who found themselves swept up in Joseph Stalin's repressive machine. The introduction you heard at the top of the show was taken from Sam's story for the beat. So if you haven't read it yet, be warned, there are spoilers ahead. Feel free to pause the episode here and check the show notes for the link. But make sure you come back later to hear my conversation with Sam. Later in the episode, Lana Wolf joins us to discuss the experience of turning her family's story of survival into a graphic novel. So be sure to stay tuned for that as well. Let's get to it. The story you wrote for The Beat is titled Liana and the Wolfs, One Family Story of Separation and Survival in the Soviet Union. So for listeners who haven't had a chance to read it yet, could you start by telling us who is Liana and, without giving everything away, what's her family's story? So Liana is an aspiring author. The term she's chosen for herself is Kazakh German, which it's difficult to find a single term that works for her story. But she's working on a graphic novel about her family history. And the reason that she calls herself Kazakh German is because she grew up in Kazakhstan. She's an ethnic German. Her story that she's working on in the book really starts with her grandmothers who were born in southern Ukraine, where their ancestors had lived for more than a century when they were born. But both of her grandmothers, and I'll get into this more later, but both of her grandmothers and her parents were deported from southern Ukraine to northern Kazakhstan under the Stalin regime during the Second World War. And Lana's earliest memories, the first part of her life, took place in northern Kazakhstan, but she didn't understand that they weren't from Kazakhstan. She only understood that she was something called German, Nyimka in Russian, 
And that she was also something called fascist, because those were the two terms people used to refer to her, and they sort of equated both of them. And then later in life, she and her family moved to Germany, where she faced a new level of confusion, and I think initially disappointment that she didn't suddenly belong in this place where, quote unquote, her people were from. So this is kind of her way of coming to terms with this really difficult past, working on this series of graphic novels that she's writing about her family story. Could you briefly explain how ethnic Germans ended up settling in southern Ukraine? First of all, most of my research for this story came from a really useful and wonderful book by the historian Otto Pohl called The Years of Great Silence. So I just want to mention that because I don't know if anybody before him had collected basically the story of this group of Germans in the Russian Empire and Soviet Union in this way before. So it was under Catherine II, Catherine the Great, who became the Empress of Russia in 1762. And I think a lot of people don't know this, that she was actually German. She was born in Germany. That may have been part of the reason she did this, but it definitely wasn't the entire reason. She issued a series of decrees starting in 1763, inviting Europeans to come farm Russian lands, offering them really favorable terms. They would have a lot of rights they wouldn't have back at home. And this was mostly people from German-speaking lands. They would be exempt from military service. They would have freedom of religion, language, culture, and other privileges, um, and they would get free land. A lot of people came, thousands of people came initially to the Volga region in the first 20 years of this program. And then in 1783, when Russia annexed the Crimean Khanate, then she opened that area up to European settlements and tens of thousands more German speakers, Germans, I guess, came and settled the land under the same terms. They were given free land and everything. So even after the Russian Empire stopped this program in the early 19th century, the population in the Black Sea region continued to expand. So by 1914, there were approximately 660,000 Germans on the Crimean Peninsula and in southern Ukraine. And then the population fluctuated some because of the Russian Civil War, the Holodomor in Ukraine. But clearly, they were a significant minority, especially for a group that most of us and honestly, I think still most people in Russia and former Soviet countries have never heard of. This was hundreds of thousands of people. You mentioned that Nana grew up in Kazakhstan because her family members ended up there as a result of deportations that took place in the Soviet period under Joseph Stalin. So I know we're fast forwarding through history here, but could you talk a bit more about these deportations and why ethnic Germans were swept up in these repressions? I think most people, if they know anything about the early Soviet period, then they know about Stalin's great terror, his great purge, his political repressions in the late 30s. But it's probably less well known that he ordered the deportation of entire nationalities, including like Chechens, Tatars, Germans, people from the Baltic states, like Lithuanians, Latvians, Estonians, just based on their nationality alone. So in June 1941, Nazi Germany invades the Soviet Union. And it's in, in August that Stalin first orders the deportation of ethnic Germans from the Volga region. Then he orders the deportation of ethnic Germans from eastern Ukraine, which by that point is the only part of Ukraine that is not under Nazi occupation yet. So the NKVD only manages to deport about a quarter of the Germans who were living in Ukraine before World War II, but this includes Lena's grandmothers and her parents. So in the fall of 1941, Lena's grandma Josephine and her grandma Amelia and Lena's parents, who are children at the time, really young children, are put on trains and sent to 
eastern Kazakhstan. My story focused on Lena's father, Adam, and his mother, Josephine. So Adam was about three when he and his mom were deported. They were sent to the Kazakh steppe. And Joseph Stalin, within months of ordering this deportation, created a new, a new institution called the Labor Army, under which thousands of ethnic Germans were conscripted to perform forced labor. It's very similar to the Gulag. So within a year of Adam and Josephine's deportations, because he was older than three years old, his mother wasn't exempt from the labor army. She was conscripted and he stayed with her. She kept him with her. So he basically lived 24-7 in what sounds like basically army barracks in the middle of the steppe, surrounded by elderly people and disabled people and some other children. So all he really remembers from this period is starvation. I don't want to give away too much, but in the story I wrote, I tell the story of Josephine and Adam's escape back to Ukraine. And then Josephine actually was arrested for that escape and then sent into a gulag camp. And that's one of the one of the stories that Lana wants to tell in her graphic novels. I want to get back to how you ended up working on this story in the first place. How did you find out about Lana and her family? And why did you decide you wanted to write about them? I had seen Lana talking about her book on the internet a little bit, because I'm actually more interested in Central Asia. That's more of my background. So what drew me in initially was the Kazakhstan aspect. I had heard that there were some Germans in Kyrgyzstan in, and in Kazakhstan, but I did not know this history of how many people were deported, the circumstances under which they were deported, the circumstances in which they lived even after the labor army was over, the special settlement regime where for years then the Germans there were sort of second-class citizens. They weren't allowed to leave. They had to report to an office regularly which Lana describes as being really humiliating for her grandmothers. So from our first conversation, which I just wanted to kind of have a preliminary discussion about how it might work for me to write about her family, I was really hooked. And that that discussion ended up lasting like two hours. And Lana was kind of doing what I've been doing right now, going all over the place, because the story encompasses so many different periods. But it's really nice to have one sort of family line and some characters to ground this history. And so you reached out to Lena online and you started interviewing her. How else did you go about reporting this story? It was a bit of a challenge having these all over the place conversations with Lena, which are really wonderful because she remembers these concrete details from stories that her grandmothers told her growing up and from her own life. Of course, she lived part of the story, but of course, it required after that going through academic articles and books. And, you know, even further back in history, the details, there are fewer details as you go into the 18th century and 19th century. And then another thing that was difficult was the language, because no term really seems quite accurate for this group of people. First of all, there was no single German state when these Germans or German speakers first came to the Russian Empire. Second of all, it was the Russian Empire, but you can't very well call Lana a Russian German. By the time she immigrated to Germany in 1989 or 1990, she'd never been to Russia in her life. I mean, you can say Soviet German, but the history goes back further. You can say Kazakh German like she is because that's where she grew up. But yeah, nothing quite captures it. So we had to think really hard about the terminology we use in this story. Something that was really helpful is that Lena's dad, Adam, is actually still around. He lives in Germany and he never relearned German because he spoke it as a young child because his mother actually never learned Russian or Ukrainian fully. So that was his first language. But after his mother's arrest later, he went to an orphanage and was required to learn Russian and Ukrainian and basically forgot German. So when he was reunited with his mother later, they didn't speak the same language. But anyways, Lena, she was able to bring some questions of mine to her dad and get really detailed answers um, that helped me write this story and gave some grounding details of the story. So that was really special. 
So Sam and I just discussed the feature story that he wrote for The Beat, which was a profile of your family, and it mainly focused on your grandmother, Josephine, and your father, Adam. But these aren't the main protagonists of your first graphic novel. So I wanted to ask if you could begin by giving our listeners a brief summary of the story that you tell in your first book. The first book is about my grandma, Emilia, and my mom, Angelina. Oh, Angelina. And it's the story of what it meant to be a German from Ukraine or the Russian Empire, their home and their deportation to Kazakhstan. Those two books are about the stories of women because those are the stories that I grew up with. So I was the youngest in my family. I used to spend a lot of time sitting in the kitchen and listen to my mom and my grandma telling their stories. And so while everyone else kind of wasn't really interested in them, I found it fascinating to learn in the first place because I grew up in Kazakhstan. And as a child, I kind of thought that's where all Germans came from because that's all I knew. I was born in Latvia, but I was too young to remember that. So Kazakhstan was my home. And so for me, it was, I think, quite clear we were German and lived in, in Kazakhstan. So that's where all Germans came from. And then listening to my grandma's stories about these new places called Blumenfeld and Zaporozhye in Ukraine and their homes and their house and the farm and the orchard, that was all so new and so different for me. So the st first story is just across the case for me, maybe when I was growing up, because I got to know my grandma Amelia and my mom much more as a child because my grandma Josephine immigrated to Germany. She was one of the very, very few people who managed to get to Germany in the 1970s. So I didn't get to know Grandma Josephine until we came to Germany. That was in 89 or 90s. My graphic novel is really about what it means to be invisible and what it means uh, for the world not to know anything about you at all. Even in, in Germany as well, when we came to Germany and people just didn't know who we are. And uh, me moving to other parts of the world, uh, studying and living in New Zealand or now in England, anywhere else I went, every time I said I'm a German from Russia or Ukraine or the Russian Empire, whatever terminology we use, nobody seems to have heard of our history. And it is also the case with Russia as well and Ukraine and other parts of the former Soviet Union. And this is what made me think, why is it that we had a lot of history and yet the world seems to, we don't seem to exist for the world. Where did it start and why did it happen? Why did people, why do people not know about it? That was the beginning of my story. And it was just the need for people to know who we are and also the need for eating terminology to describe who we are. For me, it was never, I'm Lena and I'm a German from Ukraine or German from the Russian Empire or German from Kazakhstan. It was, I'm Lena. I'm a German from Kazakhstan, and then about 20 minutes, at least, explanation of what it is, because nobody knew anything, especially if I said German from Kazakhstan, that was two of the completely opposite things. You hinted at this already now, but how did this project come together? A lot of people kind of think maybe like when I'm older, I'm going to delve into my family history and try to document things. But it seems to me that nobody ever gets around to it. So other than the fact that your family history is like, uniquely fascinating, how did you decide to finally go for it? And why in this format? 
a graphic novel? Uh, that's an interesting question. I can start with why in a graphic novel format. So I'm part of a large family in Germany and I have a lot of nieces and nephews. And they all were born in Germany and live in Germany. And so they're the next generation. And every time I talk to them about our history, they kind of shrug their shoulders and don't know anything about it. And then I kind of try to say to them, well, you really should know more about where we are from and who we are. And then one of the responses I always used to get, okay, can you give me something to read? And I would say, yes, okay, so here's a book and here's a book. Here's a book, here's 200 pages, and here's 300 pages. And this is a great description of our history, and here's a lot of tragedy. And most of them were like, is there something with pictures? And is it something that I can read on my mobile phone and show my friends uh, at school? And I think that was one of the things that kind of made me think about it and saying, okay, if we want to get, just for us, our next generation to know who we are, A, we need to first start talking about our history, something that we seem to have forgotten. And in the Soviet Union, we were not encouraged to talk about it. In Germany, we were so busy integrating and assimilating that we stopped talking about it. And so our next generation is growing up not knowing anything about it. So in order to make it interesting for them, for younger generation, let's make it in a format that will be easy for them to read as well, but also something that will be easy to share at school. So I, I hope that my nephew now is in school and then he can say, okay, here's a book. And if someone asks something, he's like, okay, you can read this book and you can pass it on. So that's the best way, I think, to pass on our information. And also, I think for my research, I've read a very large amount of research and books and articles about the history of Germans from Russia. And a lot of times there's either focus on one topic or one time. And so what I wanted to create is something that tells the history from the beginning till the end. But the way I knew it, so the woman that tell the stories and my stories is very important for me. So I wanted to see this female perspective of those who actually lived through it. And a lot of times books do not, I feel, not always for me described the way or maybe the way I wanted it to see. So if my grandma said we were deported and our deportation took a month and the cattle train, I really wanted to show the emotions and the facial expressions of those people who were on those trains, the depravity, the hunger, the cold, all of this. And one of the best ways to show that is by using images. So sometimes we use less words by expressing it with images. So that's what's important for me. I wanted people to feel it and to see it. You mentioned wanting to tell the story from the beginning to the end. And I know the graphic novel you have coming out is going to be the first of two. So when did you realize that this project was going to be bigger than just one book? It took me a very long time and many discussions to realize that it's just too big to tell the stories of both grandmothers. So I had to cut it down to the first part. So we have about 200 pages now with Grandma Emilia's stories, and it still doesn't encompass everything, but it's a great overview of her journey and mine as well. So there's always my is the, the generation who inherited her stories and who had to deal in the modern world with this inheritance. Sometimes inheritance that wasn't necessarily welcomed. 
and it's not welcomed by young young people because it's an inheritance that's not nice and shiny and bright and light. It's inheritance of something that we all have to deal with. These stories are so personal, obviously, and you mentioned you really wanted to show the emotions on people's faces, the things that aren't included in like academic monographs about these deportations. So I can imagine you must have had a pretty specific vision of what you wanted the artwork to be like. So what was the process like of finding an illustrator and a colorist? And did it take a long time to find the right people? Bearing in mind that it's my first time working on a graphic novel, so there was a, lo- a lot of it as learning by doing. But for the right artist, it was a very long search. I looked for the right illustrator for at least six months, I think. It was, if not a year. And I contacted many people and many people submitted samples and so on. We had conversations because I knew it would need a personal connection because explaining to someone who's not from Kazakhstan or not from Russia or Eastern Europe the history, it will have to be a person who A, can take this history and B, is willing to immerse uh, herself or himself in this history. So it took me a very long time until I met Christoph, Christoph Hoyer. Uh, He is the illustrator of this graphic novel and he works from Germany, from Essen area. I think I knew from the beginning that he's the right person because A, he had this real interest in this history. He wanted to know more about these people, Germans from the Russian Empire, and he was curious. And so the collaboration with him was amazing because we spent, I don't know, hundreds of hours talking and discussing history and uh, talking about how emotions can be portrayed and how Kazakhstan can be portrayed in the graphic novel and all of those things. So a close collaboration was very important. You mentioned a little bit about how these stories were handed down to you, how you heard them from your grandmother and mother in Kazakhstan at the kitchen table, and then in Germany with your grandmother Josephine when you were older. Once you decided to turn this family history into a graphic novel, how did you go about filling in the gaps in the story? Did you have to go back and interview your family members to gather this oral history? Had you been recording it all along or were you wrestling with your own memories? When I started working on this graphic novel, I first of all, I felt this incredible isolation. I was working in London on my own, talking about writing about history that nobody knew anything about, and especially in England. And also a history that is very heavy from all sides. So I used to laugh about it saying, you know, I wish I had some kind of identity or ethnicity that's easy to digest. Because in my case, I find I inherited the German and the Russian Empire history or Russian history and all of it is quite heavy. So at the beginning, I felt isolated. But what it led to is me trying to establish new contacts and trying to find new people that can help me on that journey. And that journey itself, that that took a very long time. So I met wonderful people in the United States. So I was invited to go and speak at a conference in South Dakota. That was absolutely wonderful for me because all of a sudden I met this family of people who were interested in this history that I didn't even know about. So that gave me a real positive kind of kick. And so all of a sudden, I knew I was not alone. So it's not just me, a German from Kazakhstan who lives in Germany, but now in England, but it's the other people who I'm connected to. And so I guess 
just starting to look for the right people and researchers, apart from ordering about a million of books about our history and reading all the scientific research, I started contacting people, and that on its own was quite interesting. So as soon as I found an article that was really interesting and I knew this researcher is writing about it, I contacted and introduced myself, and that was my way to build connections. And also then in Germany, finding more people as well interested in this topic was really interesting. So this whole thing of writing this book made me find my community that I didn't know existed before that I thought we were quite isolated. And on top of it, yes, I had to go back and started interviewing my parents much, much more, my mom and my dad. And something really interesting happened because most of us who come, so Germans who come from the former Soviet Union republics, we all kind of forgot how to speak about our past because it was not encouraged at all. In fact, in some cases, it was forbidden. So we kind of unlearned skills. And arriving in Germany, we were so busy assimilating that we kind of stopped again to talk about it. And so starting to speak to my parents about it was quite interesting. At the beginning, it was always like, why are you asking those questions? Why don't you just leave it alone? It's difficult history. Just leave it behind and look to the future, you know, just don't bother asking questions about it. So that was at the beginning, but the more I got involved, the more I asked questions, that helped me to also build a better relationship with them and their history. So there were lots of interviews and conversations, and every time I went back to Germany, and I started also seeing how my parents from those people who never wanted to talk about it and who just were saying, well, we're Germans, we live in Germany, so that's it, to then starting to discover their own history and talk about it and realizing that other people are interested in it. Especially, I think my mom was very proud when I told her we were invited to speak in South Dakota and I mentioned Canada and uh, Argentina and, and she was just thinking, saying to me, are you really sure those people want to know our history? Do you really think that? And so that was a wonderful kind of change in her perception as well about our history. When you were a child growing up in Kazakhstan, were you aware of how heavy this history was? Or was this something you were confronted with when you got older and you started to dig deeper into it? I was partly aware of our history, but not fully. As I think all children, we were very much protected from our history. So even when my parents, when my mom, my grandma would speak, anytime there was something difficult, they would switch to German or they would be quiet. So there were always things that were omitted, they were left, uh, left out. And so in a way that was there to protect us, to protect me, the children. When I started doing more research in London, I realized that that's actually what made it so much worse because those things that were not fully told, they become like ghosts of the pasts, uh, past and you need to understand them, you need to learn about them, you need to read about them. So I did uh, a lot of things rereading as a, as an adult, and that really upset me. So I do understand why they didn't tell us all the stories, because as an adult, it was a very uh, painful journey to read through the 
real things that were happening there. For example, I grew up completely always knowing the, the word Trudarmia. Trudarmia is a labor army, and it's a word that just any time a German, Russian German says Trudarmia, we know it's something horrific. But that's, as a child, all I knew. I didn't know the details of it all. So I knew it involved labor. I knew it involved some kind of militia presence and some kind of commendatura. And I didn't know the details of those things. So this is something I had to learn later and ask them questions about later. I remember that one time you mentioned to me what a revelation it was for you to meet the Russian Germans, or however we want to call them, in North America, because you said they had left before things got really dark. So they had a much different attitude about their German heritage and their family history. Could you talk a little bit about that? I thought it was really interesting. When I was growing up in Kazakhstan, I think especially when I was starting to get older and being worried that people would not take me, that I cannot become pioneer because I was German, or whenever teachers felt free to call me a fascist or neighbors or someone else on the street just because they felt like it. So I always felt that being German, especially German like we, it was like one of the worst things you can have. And also the only really history I kind of knew, our history, was what I heard from my grandma and my mom, right? And so and it was never a happy stuff. So it was never happiness in there. The only happiness that we really had, so it's my grandma's love for cooking. So it would be always German Zuckerkuchen or Kribbel or something else. And there will be all these different German dishes. And she insisted on cooking. It was kind of like her way of converting me to being German or something like that. So I give you some Mohnkuchen like German popcake. So this is how you keep to being German and you need to eat popcake if you want to be German. And of course, the language. So anytime she tried to speak to me and also the religion, but then the religion was always forbidden. So there was no church. There was only the underground church that my grandma used to go in. It was always difficult. So everything about our culture was difficult. It was hiding, hiding our religion, right? They were Catholic, so they could not go to an open church. It was always hidden somewhere. And even making the poppy cake, German poppy cake was such a difficulty because the poppies at that time in Kazakhstan were not allowed because of the fear about drugs coming from Afghanistan. And so poppies at some stage in Kazakhstan were completely eliminated. So you were not allowed to grow poppies. But then, as we know, in the Soviet Union, it's not like you can go to a shop in the Soviet Union and got poppy seeds. I mean, Soviet Union shops didn't have anything. And they would definitely not have some random things like poppy seeds. So my grandma still grew poppies in her garden, and that was forbidden. But then my job as a child was to, if I see Milice, if I see a policeman coming, to notify my grandmother. And the same also with the religious aspects. So whatever hidden house they went to, I would be sitting outside. And whenever I saw Milizia, policeman, or someone else showing interest in this house, I would notify them. So that was my job. So everything that I grew up with was kind of being part of some sort of secretive 
thing that was not really allowed. And on top of it, all the history was so difficult. Like I knew the Second World War, I knew the deportations at some stage, and Trudarmia, goodness me, that was, and Comendatura, and all those things. And so when I was invited to speak in South Dakota, I felt like I entered into a completely new way of being. And I realized that all those people that left, they left from the same villages as my ancestors, as my grandmothers. But they left before the oppressions, before the island's terror, before the deportation. And they also took all this wonderful culture with them. The music, cuisine, sayings, funny anecdotes. I don't remember ever hearing German anecdotes, like German-Russian anecdotes, funny things. But they actually had those things. They were funny people and weaving and all those different things and how do you work with land. And so this is something that many of our people forgot. So I realized our culture and so much of who we are was exterminated, was uh, deleted, was erased in the Soviet Union. And how wonderful to still get to know those people who brought something, conserved something with them to United States. And so for me, it was wonderful to meet those people and kind of look at them as people as maybe my grandmother would have been before the deportation and the pain. There was still joy. And there was pride in who they are, in their language, and in their skill. And this is something that I think we, the Russian Germans in Germany, or generally, we need to find back. We need to realize that our history is not only what has been done to us, not only this drama, but traumatic things, not what has been taken for us or what we lost so much more. It's about the survival and the strength and what we got passed on despite it being forbidden. There's a lot to discover and a lot to know and it's not just the pain that we should be carrying. So this is something I like to break with this graphic novel. I want to people become aware of the good things as well that we carry and we know we just have to dig a bit further and deeper and remember those things. You told me several times, starting from when I first reached out to you, that your father says or used to say that your family's history is better forgotten. And I wonder if he still feels that way because he's still around and he was willing to answer some questions for me for this story. So what does he think about all of this? Well, no, he's still saying that, but it's only when I know that it becomes too emotional for him to respond. So whenever something is too difficult now, previously it used to be just, it should be forgotten. Don't talk about it. Let's just talk about something else. Now he says it more when I know he has to dig deep into something difficult from his childhood. But now he still tells me things. It's like I opened a flood of information. So previous there was like always this wall. And now even if it's difficult, he talks about his childhood in the orphanage that still brings tears to his eyes. But he does talk about it. My final question is about your book's title. It's really striking and evocative. It's called May the Universe Be Your Home. And it's a phrase I never heard before I learned about your book. Where did it come from? This is something that my dad always used to say to me in Russian. So he used to answer the phone or finish his phone calls with in Russian, Mir Vashamo Domo. And he still does. So for me, the saying was quite interesting. And I think for me, it always meant something a bit different to what he meant. 
Mir means peace, but also means the world or the universe. So it has two different meanings. So that saying Mir Vashomo Domo can be translated as maybe peace in your home. Or the way I saw it as a child, that it was more about may the universe be <laughs> part of your home. So even if you don't feel at home, if even if you are a German who lives in Kazakhstan, were born in Latvia, whose parents are from Ukraine and southern Russia and so on, the universe can be your home. And there's a home, there's enough home for all of us in the universe. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been The Naked Pravda, a podcast from Medusa in English. Remember that undesirable status back in Russia means our entire news outlet now relies on readers and listeners around the world to support our work. Please visit our website for information about how to become a contributor with one-time or recurring pledges. Thanks again. Until next week.